This is Matt Pennington with Radio Free Asia. Welcome to South China Sea Currents, our weekly podcast on what's happening in the South China Sea. I'm joined by our South China Sea reporter, Drake Long, to talk about uh, what he's been writing about this week for RFA and Banana News. Hi, Drake. How are you doing? Is your Wi-Fi working? Yes, it is. Yeah, I had a uh, power outage earlier in the week, so that's nice. Hurricane season. (laughs) Well, hopefully we're ready to roll now. So this week, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had a busy time on the phone with Southeast Asia. On Monday, he placed calls with the foreign ministers of Singapore and Indonesia. On Tuesday, to his counterpart in Brunei. On Thursday, Vietnam, Philippines and Malaysia whose Foreign Minister Hishamuddin Hussein a day earlier took a call from another international suitor, Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi. The State Department readouts of these calls had a common theme, that the US was reaffirming its support for Southeast Asian coastal states' sovereignty rights and reaffirming US opposition to Chinese coercion in the South China Sea. So, Drake, it looks like another salvo in the U.S. push to confront China, at least diplomatically, over its sweeping claims in the South China Sea. How unusual is it for the top U.S. diplomat to place a flurry of calls like this to a bunch of his counterpart in a single region? Why would he be doing this now, this week? Yeah, so for the Secretary of State to do this specifically, it's pretty unusual. Usually you would have lower level officials or senior level officials, just not the Secretary of State handling this sort of thing. It's not unusual for the Secretary of State to call countries like Singapore or his counterparts in Indonesia. It's very unusual to call every single claimant in the South China Sea and every single stakeholder at once like this. And the timing is probably not a coincidence that this week is the 33rd U.S. ASEAN dialogue, which wrapped up on, I believe, Wednesday. So I think that there was probably a concerted effort to get some type of stronger joint statement out of that or to get some Southeast Asian support for some of the other initiatives that the administration wants to do concerning the South China Sea. Pompeo this week announced his clean network, which is all about safeguarding U.S. Internet space from Chinese SOEs, Chinese apps, Chinese Internet, cloud, what have you, and uh, submarine cables. So it may have been an effort to marshal support for that. We're just not entirely sure. Uh, Richard Haydarian wrote a column in Asia Times where he said that whatever the USA was trying to marshal with all these calls failed. So maybe nothing will come of it at all. I mean, this flurry of calls and the US ASEAN dialogue comes in the weeks after the US sort of took this tougher stance toward China and, and the South China Sea saying its maritime claims there were illegal and it held these drills of its of two aircraft carriers. So what do you think Pompeo is trying to accomplish here? And do you think he's going to be able to get much backing for what the US wants to accomplish? Well, it's tough to guess at what specifically they want to accomplish, but we can say that with this new legal line that they've taken, so on July 13th, the U.S. is now saying uh, we're looking at certain parts of the South China Sea dispute, we're looking at certain Chinese claims, and we're saying that they're illegal. They are not in accordance with international law. So that line was welcomed by a lot of Southeast Asian countries. I think what we're seeing now is a period of kind of like feedback, where the U.S. is trying to figure out how Southeast Asian countries are responding to it. I think in some cases, like with Indonesia, Singapore, they're wondering if there's not enough support for the new U.S. line. They're trying to figure out if there's a miscommunication or how can we get you guys to come on board with this more. So it's consensus building. And that's kind of how these things go. You announce a new strategy, you try to get consensus for it. If there's not a strong consensus for it, 
you just try to figure out why that is. So that's what I would say is going on. And I mean, if you look at the US ASEAN dialogue statement, it does do something very different from what it did last year. They explicitly cite the 2016 Permanent Court of Arbitration Award, the arbitral tribunal between the Philippines and China that struck down most of China's claims in the South China Sea that was explicitly cited by the USA on July 13th. So they have built consensus in ASEAN around that. And if that's the strategy, then, I mean, they've succeeded on that front. But what other type of ambitions do they have? It's not 100% clear. Okay. If it's to get some support, maybe for doing joint military drills in the South China Sea, what do you see the prospects of that? Well, the Philippines said they're not doing that pretty succinctly. Duterte, Philippine President Duterte said, we are no longer going to do naval drills in the South China Sea and talked a lot about vaccine cooperation with China. So if the goal is to get joint naval drills in the South China Sea, we're already kind of fighting uphill. And I think if you look at the statements The State Department puts out their own statements, but if you look at the statements coming from the Indonesian side, the Singaporean side, the Vietnamese side, a lot of them don't mention China or they downplay the South China Sea issue. None of them really talk about going in for drills or going in for something as, I think, as showy as that. I mean, we still get the sense that all of these nations really are sort of walking the tightrope between the US and China, wanting to keep each of these nations on side. I think that came into sharpest relief with the Malaysian foreign minister, right? Yeah, that was interesting. So in a talk to Parliament on Wednesday, I believe, he actually uh, said, you know, I'm going to be fielding calls with China and the U.S. this week, and I'm going to discuss the South China Sea with both of them. And he did, or he had calls with both of them, at least. Foreign Minister Wang Yi of China called him, and then Secretary of State Pompeo called him pretty much immediately afterwards. What's interesting here is, Foreign Minister Hishamuddin Hussein of Malaysia said that he would bring up the South China Sea with both of them. In the Chinese version of events, it doesn't come up at all. And on the U.S. side, it does come up. So it's possible that that language was kind of cut out of the uh, Chinese call, but it did come up on the U.S. side. Right. And in the meantime, we've had some um, activity from China on the military front. Yeah. So on Monday, we actually had an article about this uh, interesting combination of air drills and the deployment of warships to Mischief Reef. So China over the weekend conducted an air drill to Subi Reef, which is in the Spratlys. It was an endurance drill. It was sending a fighter aircraft from a base in Hunan province and just seeing if the pilot can last a 10-hour flight. It's not actually 10 hours to get to Subi from Hunan province, but the whole point is to see if the pilot can, I guess, withstand that amount of time. This sounds really boring to me. It sounds kind of tough, but they did it. And apparently it broke a record, so good for them. On the mischief reef front, we just spotted a couple warships in the harbor there. China sends warships and they send aircraft to those areas constantly, but I think it's good to kind of highlight when they kind of move in and out of the area because it just kind of shows you how the militarization of these really obscure features has just transformed the whole landscape of the South China Sea. No other country can project power like China can in that area. And I think it's very notable that China sent warships to Mischief Reef because Mischief Reef was explicitly cited by the United States in their July 13th statement, saying that Chinese claims over Mischief Reef are illegal because it is technically a low tide elevation. It's just been dredged up so much that it's above water now. It was interesting the imagery that you could get of Mischief Reef to sort of shed light on that because China made no public announcement about those warships, right? But you could see them in the harbor at uh, Mischief Reef. Yeah, 
satellite imagery is incredible these days. What's available commercially is pretty great. But yeah, China doesn't advertise this stuff. It's just kind of a given that they deploy warships all over the place. But I think there's a greater understanding that, I mean, when we say they deploy them all over the place, it really is all over the place all the time. There's a constant presence of Chinese warships, not even Coast Guard ships, flat out Navy warships moving throughout the South China Sea. So, you know, when China talks about the U.S. militarizing the area and it urges countries not to internationalize the dispute, backing it up with these deployments of warships comes off as maybe a little bit hypocritical, but I think it just underlines how China views it as its own territory, as its near seas area. How difficult is it to identify what are Chinese warships using the satellite? I mean, it seems very hit and miss. Well, it's actually not that hard. I mean, they're just, they're, they're very distinctive. China creates ships that don't look like ships from any other country. These days, people publish charts and there's very public knowledge about what each Navy in the region has. And you can look very clearly at an outline of that ship. What I do is I compare the length of the ship. So, you know, I measure it on satellite imagery. I say, you know, it's this many meters. Let me refer to this chart over here that has all of China's warships on here. Uh, it could be this ship or this ship. Great. Now let's compare it. Does it have a helicopter pad in the back? It does. Does it have, you know, this type of radar system on the front? It does. Is the shape of the bow this way? It is. Okay, so it has to be this, a Type 54A, something like that. And yeah. uh, so far, hasn't proved me wrong, but, you know, I never say anything with 100% accuracy. That's why I think it's important to kind of say, like, it seems like it's the Type 54A, or it seems like it's the Type 56 because, you know, the pace of China's naval modernization means that they could change ships kind of on the fly. I mean, obviously, there's quite a lot of legwork involved in identifying these ships from satellite imagery. I don't think lay people would really realize the work you put in to do that, which is all, all to the good. Um, moving on, on Thursday, the U.S. Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, had a call with his Chinese counterpart, went for 90 minutes, according to the Pentagon. So... That is kind of interesting, considering the tensions that we've had in recent months between the U.S. and China, particularly in the South China Sea. What came out of that call from what we could learn? So they discussed the South China Sea. We know that much explicitly. They also discussed destabilizing activity in the vicinity of Taiwan. And, you know, on the U.S. readout, they say the PRC is destabilizing activity near Taiwan. On China's readout, they say the USA is destabilizing the area in the South China Sea and in Taiwan. So... There's some disagreement about who, I guess, is causing the trouble there. But I mean, the main issue is likely you've had many, many Chinese fighter jets. You've had many air deployments near Taiwanese airspace that has greatly shaken up the Taiwanese sense of you know, security. On top of that, there's been a persistent rumor for months now that China is going to simulate a takeover, an exercise that would simulate a takeover of Pratis Island which is a Taiwanese-occupied feature in the South China Sea, one of the few that they have. And they've actually, there was a bombing drill a couple weeks ago where China did seem to simulate the exact conditions necessary to bomb Pratis. On top of that, you have these persistent rumors, and Taiwan definitely thinks they're credible, of an island takeover exercise. And I think the USA, China, and Taiwan are all kind of looking around and realizing that the situation could get out of control very, very quickly. Taiwan, for its credit, sent 200 Marines to reinforce Pratis, which says to me that they do take it as a credible possibility that China's trying to intimidate them or will go through on this type of exercise. I noticed that in the Pentagon readout of the call between the two defense secretaries, it said that they actually discussed the importance of the US and China keeping open lines of communication and the importance of risk reduction, which kind of shows that 
their rival sides and they've been sort of flexing their muscles in the South China Sea and elsewhere, but they're both aware of the risk that this could escalate. Yeah, communication is absolutely key to deconfliction. It's completely key to if there's a crisis, if there's any type of accident, you want to have some military hotline where you can kind of figure out what happened and deescalate immediately. And as you have warships piling up in the area, the risk of a collision or some type of accident or some standoff gets higher and higher and higher. Not even necessarily between the USA and China, but between a US partner in China. So that I think is the risk. And I think both defense ministers, Secretary Esper and Defense Minister Wei Fenghe of uh, China, recognize that. I think they understand that a military communication line is like the last line of defense before people on the ground, sailors on the ground kind of go with their gut, which could lead to a greater conflict. So is there anything you're looking out for in the coming week? Yes, actually. So like I said, there's these rumors that China is going to simulate a takeover of Pratis Island. It's kind of hard to hide something like that. So what I'm looking for are the signs. I mean, before, oh, earlier in July, actually, if you remember correctly, we had a Type 71 helicopter dock show up at Woody Island. And that was the prelude to a different naval drill that China was doing from July 1st to July 5th. So you can't really hide those assets once they're in place. They always kind of stick out on satellite imagery. So for the coming weeks, I'm just keeping an eye out for anything like that. That would give a hint that these island takeover exercises are real. They're going to happen. And maybe they're not even focused at Taiwan. Maybe they could be focused on another country or another series of features. And then on top of that, there's the interesting situation going on at Vanguard Bank. And there's still a Chinese Coast Guard ship at Luconia Shoals, which is in Malaysian waters. So still a lot to keep track of. Okay. And uh, of course, the biggest story this week that we haven't really had time to delve into was about the Malaysian Foreign Minister Ishmadin Hussein, who was caught vaping in Parliament, <laughs> no less. Yep, takes me back to uh, high school. Yeah, well, I guess he'd had a couple of stressful days on the diplomatic front. So he was, you know, trying to keep US and China sweet and without blowing a gasket. Anyway, let's, <laughs> um, let's see what happens in the coming week. For those of you listening, please check out Drake's previous articles uh, about the South China Sea at rfa.org and bananews.org. If you've got any questions or feedback, please email us on South China Sea. That's all one word, at rfa.org. Or follow Drake on Twitter. His handle is drm underscore long. And you can catch up on our previous podcasts uh, on our websites at rfa.org and bananews.org, but also now on Spotify and iTunes if you just search for South China Sea Currents. I'm Matt Pennington with Drake Long, the South China Sea reporter for Radio Free Asia and Banana News. This podcast series is created by Leo Kim and produced by Radio Free Asia. Thank you for listening and please join us again.